1: What's up then? welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show episode 83. The Yankees are about to play Sunday Night Baseball. They have dropped the first two against the Red Sox. This was supposed to be the quote-unquote most important stretch of the season for the Yankees when they were going to decide if they were going to be sellers or buyers or, or potentially just do nothing. And what do they do out of the All-Star break? They look like absolute crap, come out flat like they're still sleepwalking. Like they're all still on their Caribbean vacation since not many of them made the All-Star game. Scott, how you doing? I'm good because I I had a very very strong feeling this exact situation
2: was going to happen tonight. I mean, this is obviously a, a, a day after you guys are hearing this on Monday. Uh, Tanaka versus Price tonight. We'll see what happens. Yankees historically have have hit Price well, and you know he he never really shows up that greatly against the Yankees. So we'll see what happens tonight. But I'm not really expecting a great outcome. Tanaka's been very average over his last few starts, and like you said, the Yankees came out completely flat after they had four to five days off. You'd think that these old guys rest their bones ready to go. No, they hit a knuckleball in the first, first outing and just completely get shut down. So it's, uh, it's kind of going to the, to, to the way I thought it was going to go because I feel like this is going to be the very, very big deciding factor for the ownership to finally say, hey, this team is not good. And we need to get, we need to get rid of this, this, these, uh, the assets that we have and re-freaking-load
1: But here's the catch. Tanaka's going on an extra couple days rest and we know how good he can be when he's got that extra rest. So it wouldn't surprise me if he pitches, you know, seven, seven and a third innings, really good ball tonight. And the Yankees squeak out a four to one victory or something like that. Just to tease the fans enough and to tease ownership enough where it's like, oh, maybe this team isn't complete garbage. Well, I think it's a big –
2: actually, tonight, now that you're saying that, because I forgot about the extra rest, it's going to be interesting because we know Tanaka's at his best on extra rest. And this, this Red Sox lineup, you know they're going to put out their A lineup tonight. And it's going, to be, it's going to be a very big test for him to see if this extra day, this extra two days is really what, what drives him because um, I think he's going to get one of his bigger tests this year. Because this
1: lineup, the lineup on the Red Sox is, ridiculous. is
2: pretty filthy. It's you know, so funny. It's And I, they're young and
1: fast, which is not very Red Sox-like. I was at the game on Friday night, first game I went to all season, and the Yankee Stadium scoreboard has both lineups up there the whole game, and I overheard somebody sitting a couple seats down from me commenting on how the averages of all of the Red Sox players were so much higher than the Yankees players. Every Yankees player is hovering in the 240-250, and then he even got, you know, Teixeira in there who's still batting under 200 and you look at the Red Sox lineup and it's 308 335 319 296 it's just it's it's night and day how much better the Red Sox offense is and we knew that going into the season that the Red Sox were probably going to mash the ball pitching was going to be their question they've done some things in the last couple weeks to make their pitching rotation overall better David Price going tonight, and he's had such a weird season because if you look at his overall, you know, his... The he's numbers, leading the American League in strikeouts, I think. Exactly. I was just going to say that. You look at the traditional numbers, the win-loss record and the ERA, it looks pretty bad. I and mean, He's got like a 4.6 ERA. For a guy making 27 million bucks or whatever crazy number he's making, that's horrible. But he's, his strikeouts are up there, and it's just when he does get hit, he gives up big hits. So, you know, some people might say that, that trend means he's going to start to pitch better in the second half of the season. I guess we'll see. I get frustrated because of all these new stats that
2: are coming out. People, I I feel like, kind of disregard and throw away the batting average a lot more now than they used to, just because it's so much more acceptable to drive in runs and have a low batting average. And I mean, you know how I feel about that in the the sense that I I can't stand that type of baseball, the scoring only in lump sums and, and not not getting consistent by getting guys on base and getting them over and getting them in. Like that's the kind of baseball I love. And when you're looking at the Red Sox lineup, like I really like the construction of their lineup, the way that they have it with their speed guys, the guys that get on base quite a bit. And when you look at the Yankees lineup, it's it's like the worst possible thing for me to watch as an offense because it's just it's because there are so many slumps and we see that. I mean, with the amount of streaking this team does. I mean, when you're hot and the ball's going out of the park, you have Uh, you have success or moderate success for this year. But in the past, they've had a lot more success because they've had a couple table setters uh, that have gotten on and then the big big guys would actually hit. But when you have big guys who are supposed to hit and drive and runs, don't, you see what's happening and, and you have much longer streaks of bad baseball. And that's what's going on now because the guys that are supposed to thump in the middle of the lineup are not doing anything remotely close to that. You mentioned to share under 200. I think he's at 280. I'm sorry. I think he's at 187 or 186 since he's been back from the injury too. So it's not like we've seen anything better. He added a couple home runs to to give us a little bit of uh, of window dressing, but he's been terrible since he's gotten back too. He does not deserve to be out there. And have you seen Rob Refsteiner play since the break? No,
1: no, I have not. Neither
2: have I. And it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The one freaking catalyst on this team. When you have to win, starting out and you have to start out hot after this break, you don't play your probably most consistent hitter next to Carlos Beltran on this team because that's what he is. It's ridiculous. It's it's it's, it's and maybe it's just because Girardi wants to to show
1: ownership what this team really is. And if that's the case, I'm okay with it. <laughs> that would certainly be next level managing by Joe Girardi. <laughs> that's that's a serious conspiracy. <laughs> Something theory, that right? I'm not quite sure he's capable of.
2: Cashman but- and Girardi two stalls like you know can you spare a square type thing. <laughs> Talking, talking, hey, guess what? I'm not going to play Steiner. We're not going to score any runs. You're going to get your way. It's beautiful. I would
1: actually respect the hell out of that.
2: That'd be amazing. That'd be a great story to leak.
1: You mentioned that the Yankees, what I think you were alluding to is the fact that the Yankees offense is not versatile and the Red Sox offense is versatile. And what I mean by that is the Red Sox can score in a number of different ways. If it's let's hit five home runs tonight and win nine to two, the Red Sox can do that. If they need to scratch out a couple runs by hitting and running and going first to third, they can do that or they can put up 9 hits, 10 hits in a game because they got a bunch of 300 hitters on the team. The Yankees only score... They, when the Yankees win games and score more than 5 runs, you know exactly how it's going to happen. That Ellsbury and Gardner are going to get on base probably twice in the game, and Carlos Beltran's going to have a big hit. That's literally the only freaking way the Yankees win and score runs. And uh, you're talking about the versatility of the fact, but the
2: problem, the, the thing that... You don't see from, from their team is, is very many games where they are shut out. I mean even in those big home run games, you're still getting on base and getting hits. These guys, when you, when you load a bunch of 300 hitters on a team, you're, you're, first of all, your percentages are a hell of a lot higher to score runs because you got guys on base. And you, guys, you have guys squaring up the ball and doing good things with the baseball, hitting it where they want, hitting, spraying it around the field. That's the other thing. Jackie Bradley Jr., I think on Saturday, I think I'm pretty sure it was Saturday or Friday. I, I, I might be confusing the game. But they shifted on him three times. And three times, he went the other way. He went the other way because he saw what they were giving him and he went with what the defense gave him and he got on base. It, it it's just simple things like that that this team cannot do. You have Tashera and they're talking about, everybody's talking about, oh, he's gonna hit it over the shift, not away from the shift. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what, bro? You're you're hitting freaking 186, hit away from the shift. Lay a bunt down. I don't, you don't have power right now. So this is not an excuse. It's utterly ridiculous how stuck in the mud they are with their offensive game plans and they will not move around from it. It's 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 craziness. It's craziness. We came out of the gate hot on this one. Jesus, man. Yeah, fired up. I didn't even think I thought we were gonna be dead. I've been playing golf all day. You got, uh, you got a little
1: sunburn, yeah, yeah a little uh, red forehead from from the sun. But now we're talking about it. It's
2: firing me up. You know what I think it is? It's because deep down inside, I truly do hate the Red Sox. And the fact that they are such a better team and I look at that that roster and it's just so much more attractive – uh, you know, as a as an offense and a, even their defense, their outfield's filthy. Uh, it's it's very frustrating when you look at these two teams because while the rivalry is not there, I still have that deep down heart hatred that's like ready to blow at any point. And obviously, just talking about it makes me upset. So,
1: and part it of it is in. the fact that I'm envious of Red Sox fans right now. They just made a big trade for Drew Pomeranz, and and they're in this race. They're in it to win it this year. They have the next two months, two plus months of baseball. It's going to be so exciting for them, even if they don't make the playoffs or, or lose in the wild card game like the Yankees did last year. At least you're looking forward to something every night, good baseball to watch every night. What as Yankee fans do we have to look to look forward to right now? Everyone's just sitting on their hands on pins and needles waiting for July th- or August 1st deadline to see what the Yankees do. That's literally the only thing that Yankee fans have going for them right now. We're not even looking for like it doesn't matter if somebody gets hurt. Only only unless it's Carlos Beltran and he's
2: a trade chip yeah, and then we or trade or him. one of the like, ooh, penalty. if is going to get hurt, ooh, if A-Rod's going to – I really could care less. I, I really don't care. It, it doesn't it matter. It sucks
1: to feel that way because – and as Yankee fans, we have not felt that way very often in the last 25 years. And 2013 and 2014, we didn't even feel that way even though the team wasn't very good. At least they were – at this point, I feel like it, those seasons, they were in it more than they are now. But it's, a, it's a different mentality right now. I feel like it's a totally different mindset and, and just
2: feeling for this team because we have no idea where the direction is. It's nobody is being right. clear on the direction. There's 15 voices talking about what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And nobody's saying the same thing. It's like inside the organization, they're not, they're not, uh, you know, on the same page. And that, that right there is extremely frustrating and disconcerting because. You've had all this time. You know what's happening with these guys. You knew damn well that they were going to lull. And at the, the end of their contracts are probably going to be not slowing down but a cliff. At that age, guys don't slow down as much as they – if you look at the percentage of these, the majority of these guys drop off of a cliff. That's usually what happens unless there are steroids involved in your body. That's what happens. And that's exactly what's happening right now with Deshera, happening with A-Rod. Um, Beltron obviously isn't there yet. The guy's still – I mean he's going to machine his whole career. I could see him hitting for his entire career no matter when he slows down. But, oh, man, it's frustrating. Well, we know it's – you you touched – real quick, you touched on Red Sox fans too. I played golf with a a good buddy of mine who's a Red Sox fan from New Hampshire. And I told him one thing today. It was like, you know, we were getting our asses kicked on Friday and Saturday and I don't even get a text message from you giving me shit. I get nothing. (laughs) And it pisses me off because – Like, I I want to feel that emotion back. Like, I want you to talk shit to me. And there's two reasons why they haven't. One, they're spoiled now. They got spoiled. They no longer care. They no longer are so desperately needing a championship anymore. Right, they're no longer the little brother. Yeah, that, that it doesn't really matter as much anymore. They're not as fired up. They're not as eager to, like, pick a fight with me or defend themselves. And two...
1: We are so irrelevant right now that it just doesn't matter that we sweat them because you expect it. Well, and right. that and sucks too. That's how the Red Sox were the last couple of years. Take out 2013 when the Red Sox won the World Series, they've been a, a basement dweller. And that Yankee Red Sox rivalry is, is 6 feet under at this point. I know it is. It's I mean they haven't it's met in the even, playoffs. It's not
2: even there with like he's one of my very good friends. It's not even there with with us. And that's when it's
1: like the most heated. I was at a Yankee-Red Sox game, obviously, on Friday night at the stadium, and it was it seemed like it was a spring training game. That was the atmosphere. There were more Red Sox fans in the stadium than anything. But I miss going to games where it, it's literally yelling matches between fans the entire nine innings because we hate each other so much and the, the action on the field is good. I mean, we know the Yankees and Red Sox haven't met in a plus since 2004, and that's a big factor. Between 1999 and 2004, they met in the – championship series three times they played so often and it was pretty much a 500 against each other record for those teams and yeah. it was so heated you could never top that but you know they haven't played in the playoffs in 12 years at this point so that's a distant memory and as soon as david ortiz retires on the red sox and a rod who's pretty much a non-factor at this point there's no one left from those years
2: it's true speaking of uh the yankees and red sox
1: we got to dedicate this show Oh, look at that. Look at that transition by you. This is show 83. This is show number 83. So we're going to go with our uh, dedication for this is Roger Clemens, because as the career number of victories he had in Yankee Pinstripes is 83. And Roger Clemens, I think a lot of people, a lot of baseball fans probably hate, but I think Yankee fans still like the Rocket. Yeah, he, uh, he. I mean,
2: he's obviously one of the most one of the more polarizing figures at this point. I mean, he's like the poster boy for steroids for pitchers. I think, right? Like, I think Bonds is the guy for hitters. Clemens, to me, is the guy for yes, because for, he put, put pitchers, up the right? most
1: gaudy numbers in well into his forties. And he and threw a bat at, at Mike Piazza. <laughs> you look at you look at his career stats, and he he basically had three different mini careers, um, and they weren't even that many. He had his. Late 80s, early 90s with the Red Sox, and then he had his uh, mid-90s with the Blue Jays and Yankees, and then he had his 2000s with the Yankees and the Astros, and it was three very distinct periods where he was dominant and, I think, won a Cy Young in all of those places. He won a Cy Young. He with, won one with the Astros? He won one with the Astros, yes. Mm. Yeah, it's tough
2: to come back when you have documented roid rage, and like a, on a big stage, and it's it's just so clear when you look back at at what happened that that he was uh, this dude was just jacked up, and you know I I don't know because there's other things about Roger Clemens too. I think Yankee fans like him just because he was he was uh, obviously he performed well, um, but then there's also the the Andy Pettit connection. I feel like people are a little bit iffy on just because Pettit had the HGH, uh, and I think a lot of people really. You know, put that on Clemens' influence. Yeah. Isn't you know, it a lot of people do.
1: <laughs> Isn't it funny that people blame Clemens for Andy Pettit using HGH? <laughs> it's
2: true, but it's
1: <laughs> very true. Good for Andy Pettit for sneaking that around fans. He just apologized, said he made a mistake. Yeah, I used it one or two times. I love Andy Pettit, but let's be realistic. Of course well, that's he used because it more than one nice, or two times. He's,
2: he, just, he doesn't seem like a right, guy who a good, so a good Southern he, boy. He was also the first guy to own up to it, I think. He was one of the first one guys the first to actually guys. Be- yep honest. I mean, while while I don't believe he was 100 honest, he was at least enough honest with everybody to say, "Hey, I made a mistake. Uh, I regret it. I'm going to come back to it. I love Jesus." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's Gordon's where he went.
1: Was way too stubborn, way too full of himself to ever admit that he did yeah, anything. He's still doing terrible. it. He's still going through that. So, well, a couple things before we we, we uh,
2: continue on the show. I have a uh, some some Bronx pincharge things I want to talk about. And if you haven't seen on the show. We're doing a special segment, which I'm really excited about, especially, you should be really excited about this too, <laughs> everybody listening, because there's not much to look at at this team right now until we make some trades, hopefully, and uh, and see some young guys come up. But what we're doing, 20-year anniversary, we all know, is uh, the celebration at Yankee Stadium is going to be on the 13th. The uh, The Bronx Pinstripes team is going to be there. That's our annual team outing. We're definitely going to get get a, get together before the game. So if you are a listener, you're going to be at the game. We would love for you to meet up with us. We're gonna, we're gonna. Um, I'm actually gonna be calling a bunch of bars this week, getting a, an area where we can all meet up, and uh, we'll post it everywhere. Come hang out with us. Come meet us. It'd be awesome to to talk to you guys and meet everybody in uh, in real life, and you know, just then talking to you on Twitter and Facebook and all these places. So definitely do that. And then also, we're doing the '96 96 Relive '96, 96, uh, Relive 1996 segment on Bronx Pinstripes, and uh, I think we've had three games go up. We started on Friday. We're, we're documenting every single game. Uh, In the second half of the year, it's going to be a a game recap. So you can kind of read through it, see exactly what happened on that day. Um, It's really good. It's really cool
1: because they're written like it's 1996 and the game just happened. So it is kind of like a flashback. The ebbs and flows. We're going to be doing the games that the Yankees won, which they won a hell of a lot of games at the second half of 1996. But also the games they lose. So you can kind of go with uh, how the team was trending in 1996. And especially for someone like me. I'm so interested to read all these recaps because I was eight years old in 1996. I remember watching the playoffs, but I don't remember a damn thing really from the second half of that season. Um, Well, it's funny. It's funny because I was talking with – we have a a guy that does – that
2: interns with us, Justin, who does a lot of – he works with us on the podcast too. And I was talking with him last week. And I was like, you know, I, I'm curious as to how you how you think about this, and because you obviously he's younger, uh, he's a lot younger, and he was he was like I think three years old when in '96. And God I was like, it. is this is this is this something interesting to you? You know, I'm 36 years old. I was 16 at the time, so I was kind of in my like sports sports fandom prime. You know, as like a kid. And um, yeah, you know, he was he was telling me how how interested he is because he didn't live through it. So now he can kind of read it and see how everything went. Um, I, if you look at Jeter's average now, I was just gonna you know, I was going to mention that. Yeah, I think he's hitting 278 at this point, and he ended the season at what, 330?
1: So what it was, I was looking at that first recap of July 15th, 1996, and in the box score, Jeter's average was 280. And I was saying to myself, damn, I thought Jeter had a much higher batting average his rookie season. I mean, he won the Rookie of the Year. And I looked it up, he finished at 314, because 314. he hit 350 in the second half. Yeah. So he carried the team in the second half. Yeah, so it's really interesting. And some of,
2: even some of the names, when we're looking back, that I completely forgot about, and just some of the some of the position players, the utility guys that they had on that team. Um, it's, it's it's fun to look back. So definitely check that out. We're doing them every morning. They're going out at nine o'clock and uh, you should be able to get them. Uh, they're Ignore on the, site. the
1: 2016 game recaps because it's just <laughs> going to depress the hell out of you. You still click on the article, but then just go right to the 1996 game and read something a little bit more. Uh, something that will make you feel a little bit better throughout your day.
2: There's still good information in the 2016 ones. We'll obviously go through everything. Um, And then the other thing that we're doing, we've had a couple up. uh, One of our uh, editors and writers, RJ, RJ Lubier, is writing uh, a series called Bronx Tales and we really want to get a lot, uh, if you're listening to the show, we, Andrew and I were, were kind of talking about doing this as a podcast as well, getting people on the show and like giving, getting their, uh, their, their accounts of, of good fan stories. And maybe it'll eventually turn into that. But for now, what we're doing is we're having, uh, we're doing an article series of it and, and they've been good so far. We had a guy who, uh, met Jeter out in California um uh, a little kid getting his first foul ball we have a couple we have the bat boy coming up the, the, the here's a, a sneak preview we have, we have a what the bat boy from one of the bat boys from 1996 coming on it's going to be writing something and uh, uh the guy who uh, is in the bleachers who rings the cowbell his first year was 1996 as well so we're going to get a lot of these like fan stories i think it's a lot of fun obviously we're a fan community and uh, that's that's really who we relate to the most and we want to highlight a lot of your guys stories so if you have a good story Shoot us an email, info at Bronx Pinstripes, uh, or ping me or Andrew on Twitter, and uh, and definitely get it to us, and I'll hook you up with RJ so we can get those going. So Maybe there's a
1: lady out there who had a late night encounter with Derek Jeter. Oh. Wants to share about that. Are we talking about a potential gift basket scenario? Yeah. Or maybe she wasn't even lucky enough to get a gift basket, but she at least got maybe a kiss on the cheek. Like nice, a Stonewall? Nice, she was he, looking he for he the called, gift basket? He called her a black car because, you know, Jeter doesn't call taxis, and there was no Uber back then. Right. So yeah you never know there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that could be uh coming out so
2: definitely get them in we'd love to i know we're getting some from the yankees there's a women's yankees fantasy camp too
1: which i was uh, was not 100 percent i didn't know about that <laughs> that reminds me of when kramer went to fantasy baseball yeah camp. that's right i forgot he <laughs> and he, he, who uh, did he punch he mickey, punched, mantle. Uh, mickey mantle yeah <laughs> nice because joe Pepitone was crowding the plate and he had to he that's had to right. buzz him he had to buzz him <laughs> oh hilarious all right, we kind of talked, we got right into it at the beginning of the episode, but the Yankees came out of the All-Star break flat, and it's no longer, it, we know what this team is at this point, because it's not a, it, we know what the trend is. Uh, if you look back until August 1st of 2015, this team is a total of four games under five hundred. That's a full season, pretty much, worth of slightly under five hundred baseball, so it's no longer a surprise that the Yankees are just not a very good team. It's it's a largely the same roster. If anything you could argue, the Yankees roster on paper to start 2016 was better than the roster they finished with in 2015, wouldn't you say so? Yeah, the only thing you're going you're not going to see in in the on the on paper is the the another year older Mark for era, breaking older down Teixeira. Alex Rodriguez not having exactly. a good season of course but yeah but we went into the season with extremely high hopes and we thought that this team could not only compete for the division but if they made it to the playoffs they were going to be an extremely dangerous team because of the bullpen right but we've seen them even they struggle to even get to the sixth inning in a tie game or, or one run lead so it's really just 95% of this team is incapable of winning baseball games <laughs> I don't even know where to add to that. Yes, it's 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 you know it's it's frustrating to watch it, and we
2: did think that there was a lot that on paper looking at. I mean, with the addition of Castro, obviously second base was a giant hole last year, and bringing in Castro, uh, you know, was was thought to bring some stability, and it has. I don't think he's been as good as we expected, and he'd he's definitely filled off,
1: off. Really hot start
2: yeah yeah and we'll see what happens in the second half last year he was a totally different player in the second half than he was in the first half he led to i think baseball in in the batting average hitting like 360 in the second half so we'll see if he can make another adjustment and, and again he is you know the first time in the american league too so you have to you have to also expect you know a, a, a surge and then a lull
1: because right, he in the beginning
2: out. yeah you know the pictures that he figures it out. Pitchers figure him out. Now it's it's back on him to make uh, another adjustment and before see where he is. Before you goes. move
1: on from Castro, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Do you worry about his mental makeup that maybe if he's on a 500 team, he's not fully checked into every game? I mean, the Cubs were on a tear last season in the second half. They were making a playoff push. Castro was, was dialed in. He was hitting 330. Do right. you think maybe on a, on a team with how the Yankees are playing now or how we saw the Cubs playing over the last three seasons before last year? Where he's kind of not always a hundred percent there every night. I mean, he's a three-time All Star in the National League too on on, t- on bad teams. And Eduardo as well. Nunez made the All Star team this year. Everyone needs to have an All Star, Scott. I get that. So I, I mean, I can't really
2: say that that I, I think that's the case because I haven't seen anything saying, that, that really I, I gives worry, it to me. I worry about that a little bit. I, I mean, I just haven't seen anything. I haven't seen that in his everyday play that that makes me think that. So I don't yeah, know if he's I've you know go up if he's just going through the motions at this point.
1: Sometimes. I don't know. I, I don't. Sometimes he goes up to up to the plate, swings at the first couple pitches. They're not even close to the plate. It kind of looks like he's not 100% invested in the at-bat.
2: Right. I also think that's him just being too much of a free swinger at that time, and yeah. he just gets completely lost after two strikes sometimes.
1: Right. <clears throat> so I think that – so the Yankees were 44 and 44 at the all-star break. And if they realistically wanted to have a chance to make the wild card, they were going to need 88 wins on the season because that would put them right in the mix for what the last few seasons the the wild card team had had made and also what the current wild card teams were projected to win which means they would have had to go 44 and 30 in the second half 14 games over 500 for a team that i just mentioned has been three game four games under 500 since the second half of last season that just seems a, a, entirely unrealistic yeah it's just not going to happen and, and the reason is is because this first ten game <laughs> stretch is going to bury us, and yeah. then we're going to sell everybody. And they're playing also a bunch. They played. They had their June schedule was so easy, and they just could not take advantage of it. They played. Uh, uh, they played a seven or eight game stretch where they're, all they played was the Rockies and the Twins, and they went five hundred in that. So you're telling me when they play the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and the Giants, they're going to go eight and two? It's just not going to freaking happen. Yeah, I said this before, and and it really would not surprise me if if they were to sell.
2: Let's just say they sold Beltron. Let's say they sold Chapman and maybe one other guy, and they got some return and they got some guys who are ready to play now. It literally would it would not phase me and not shock me if they started playing better with younger guys ready to to show what they have, yeah. And then and then seeing kind of a, a little bit of a, a youth resurgence uh, in this team because I, I just I. You know, in the past, we've seen teams le- that teams gel very well. You know, we had guys like John Ryan Murphy who seemed like it was – he brought like a, a youthful exuberance and energy to the to the team. And there was something there almost that I think A-Rod really – it seemed like they were always together. There was like a, a youthful to, – to me, this team is just – they don't look like they're having fun. They, they look – they don't look like they're gelling well together. Everybody kind of looks like they're getting a paycheck and going home and – I don't know. If there's, it doesn't seem like there's any chemistry on this team either. You start bringing in some younger guys. There's a little bit more energy feeding in the in the in the um in the dugout. I could see guys like Ellsbury playing better. I could see other guys starting to pick it up a little bit more, and and this team actually playing better. So, I honestly think that it could be a shot in the arm if they actually made these trades too. And on paper, we'd be not as good, but uh, but see an
1: uptick. You remember how the Red Sox played in September of last year? Yes, I do. They were on fire. They were, and it took the Yankees. I think. What was it? Didn't they have to really squeak? Didn't they? uh, It was a four-game series late in the season. The Yankees were trying to clinch the wild card, and they only won one game from the Red Sox because the Red Sox were playing spoilers and with a bunch of young guys who are now really performing for them. Yeah, and well, their offense in the second half was just on fire. I mean,
2: their whole—I want to say the majority of the second half, the Red Sox offense was really good last year, and they started chasing themselves up. It was almost to a point where they're almost making it, like on the cusp of making a run, and then hit a long losing streak. But yeah, you see it not only for that, like you see guys gelling at the same time, but the fact that they're getting the major league experience. I mean, you're seeing the you're seeing what has happened now and, and the positives that, that have hit Boston because these guys have experience. I mean, you saw you, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been sent down. Already.
1: You know he what I mean? He had the like, worst start he was to awful. any season. He had the worst start to any major league career in history. He went something like 400 plus at bats with an OPS of under 300. You remember how Chase Headley was in the first two months of the season? That's what Jackie Bradley Jr. was for the first like season of his career. And now and all of a sudden he he's not.
2: They brought him up, and they and he took his lumps, and he came back, and that's when you see what kind of a player he is. Because a lot of guys struggle in the beginning, and then they have to kind of dig down and re- find out who they are again, make sure the moment's not too big for them, find out what got them there in the first place, and then go back out. And that's what he did. And you can see, obviously, he's a totally different player at this point. Guy had the freaking longest uh, hit streak in how many years? And he is, you know, he's a he's an all star. He's a phenomenal player, and he's going to be there for many years to come. And you know, we have these guys that are sitting in the minors just killing AAA, crushing AAA with an opportunity to come up and, and take some lumps. So, yes, that my, the overall point, I'm freaking just jabbering <laughs> on now. But, yes, I want to see uh, the trades happen. I would not be surprised if we were to actually improve once that happened.
1: It's, I, I would agree with that. It's an interesting point you make. And the youth, the Yankees need more youth. Nothing drove that point home more. Then watching the All-Star Game this year. If you guys listening have not read my blog from last Friday, the title was The All-Star Game Depressed Me. And the reason was because it was pretty much the youngest All-Star Game in history. 26 guys on each roster were 26 years or younger. There were guys like Bryce Harper, who was in his fourth All-Star Game. The guy's only 23. Mike Trout's in his fifth All-Star Game. He just turned 24 Um, all the home runs were hit by guys who are 26 years or younger. And the AL had the youngest starting infield in history at 25.2 years old. So pretty much the field was filled with young superstars. And then you look over who are the Yankee all-stars and it's all guys who are older. I know Batances is only 28, but Miller and Beltran are both in their thirties. And those were free agent guys. So to me, I don't know about you, but watching the all-star game, I loved watching it. I love watching guys, all those young guys, Bryce Harper, Trout, Giancarlo Stanton. But all it really made me think was damn, I wish the Yankees had some of these guys. It's <laughs> when you look around and see the youth and how,
2: how, how just, you know, overwhelming it is and how many young guys are there and how, and you and I have talked about this so many times in the way that baseball is today. You go post. Uh, steroid era you you take the PEDs out of the system and what do you do you throw it back to baseball being a young man's sport because it is a tiring sport that you play every single day for the like it seems like 3 quarters of the year there these guys are are going through a grind it's a toll on your body yeah, it's fact, long in spring time. training,
1: it pretty much is three quarters of the year. And if you and make a lot the, of the World guys, Series, it's nine months out of the year you're playing baseball pretty much if you make the World Series.
2: And a lot of the young guys play, play ball outside that as well. Some of them play in, uh, in Caribbean leagues or they play in fall leagues. The, the very young guys who are coming up. But anyway, the point being is that the, the, the old man of baseball is becoming obsolete. He's slowly becoming obsolete. Are we going to see guys – who are who are going to be the exception to the rule? Yes, we are going to see those guys like because that's David always Ortiz. The key. David Ortiz. David <laughs> Ortiz. Well, <laughs> I'll say like Carlos Beltran. That that's more the guy I'm thinking. He's a guy that that has always hit for average. He's always been a gap hitter. He hits the ball out of the ballpark too. But he's always been uh, just a he's line drive hitter. Those are the kind of guys that as they get old. You'll see he's probably sticking around a little bit. Your sluggers are not going to be sticking around like they like they happen. It's just not going to happen because it doesn't happen. And when you see the amount of, of, of young guys in this team on the in the All Star game, it's exciting because that to me that that means baseball is in a better place. It's a it's a more fun game to watch when it's young guys playing ball because that's what it's meant to be. And you know, slowly we're getting to that point. I understand that it's a it's a terrible right now. Our team is older, a hell of a lot older than a lot of people, but. You know, we're we're slowly getting to that point and obviously I think Cashman understands this. I think Cashman's understood this for a few years now and I think, you know, there's just been roadblocks for him. So,
1: and a lot of fans will say, well, the Yankees have guys coming up, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Greg Bird, Luis Severino. Yes, you're right. Those guys are better prospects than the Yankees have had in a number of years. But they are at the point they're at 23, 24 years old. There was guys in the All-Star game who were 21 years old. So those guys are already superstars at the major league level. The Yankees prospects are not quite there. They're not quite that good. They're, they could be very good, but they're not sure things. So let's just take all the opportunity we can get and actually make it a, a sure thing or close to more close to a sure thing. Trade Beltran, trade Chapman, trade Miller. Get more young guys so you have a better chance at hitting the lottery, which is basically what it's like when you have a Mike Trout or a Bryce Harper. Totally. That's it. That's, that's
2: what needs to happen. <laughs> totally, I, mean, I, bro. I got, I got nothing else that needs to happen. Let's, let's make this, let's make this
1: work. Um, so, you know, the all-star game, I thought it was a pretty good one. I, I do believe though it was the lowest rated all-star game in a few yeah, years. Yeah. I mean, didn't it, I mean, I don't know how that, is that just the television ratings? It's it's a few reasons. You, I think because, it's because, you know, the nineties and stuff, Like you just said, gone are the days when thirty-five-year-olds are batting cleanup in the All-Star Game. But the thing is, when those guys, when Barry Bonds is hitting cleanup in the All-Star Game, he was hitting cleanup in the All-Star Game for ten straight years. So that name recognition is there, and people are tuning in to see him. Whereas now, you know, all these young guys that a lot of casual baseball fans have never heard of—they're just not going to tune in. Maybe if you know Bryce Harper's a superstar, Trout's a superstar, but. Do those guys really have the star appeal that all of those PED guys did? I'm not sure. I mean, I love them, you love them, but does the guy who watches maybe 20 of his team's games a year love them? Probably not.
2: And the other thing, I don't know how this is how they throw this in there, how the Nielsen ratings, even if that's if that's still a thing, how how they, you know, throw in, you know, looking at the game if it's streamed online. If if people you see a lot of younger younger people today that aren't maybe watching it on television but they're following the game on Twitter or they're following it it's on social some other event uh, some kind of a social social you know yes uh, a social, social media event. But I'm saying actually doing it, following it on on, uh, on Twitter, not watching the game themselves, just like looking at the comments, seeing what's happening, just kind of loosely following it. I don't know how much that takes into consideration and I don't know how much that takes away from people watching it anymore because they yeah. th- they don't want to sit down and watch the game but they'll just follow and see what happens.
1: I'm not quite sure if
2: if that really – you can factor that in but – because how many people were actually watching the Snapchat of the behind the scenes from MLB doing it or anybody who was covering it doing Snapchat and you're seeing all these behind the scenes things and you see half these guys probably Snapchatting on their phones sitting there, um, you know, in the wherever around there, some of the reporters and stuff like that. I don't know how, how many people are doing that or, or, you know, people are at the game Snapchatting things like that. Like that's got to be a factor in it because they're still watching. You're still getting the behind the scenes. You're not watching every play. You're not doing it like that. You're watching the highlights, maybe, you know, an inning after it happens. I just got to believe that's got to really take down a lot of the of the viewership, And I don't know how much how much of a tick down is the interest. It could just it.
1: be also a little fluke because I think the MLB playoffs last year and especially the World Series were one of the highest rated in recent history.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's really hard to gauge. That's kind of my point. I think it's hard to gauge the the overall interest of it because there's so many outlets now and so many things to follow for a particular event. It's
1: information overload. It is a yeah. It's a lot. I mean, and this is the worst time of year to be a sports fan, especially if your team is just looking to sell because there's not really much going on. The NBA and NHL playoffs are over. We're just basically waiting for, for training camp of football so we can all start thinking about our fantasy football drafts. And all we've got is baseball on. And a lot of people are kind of just mentally checked out in the middle of July of the sports world.
2: At least they listen to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. We're not checked and, out. We're ready to
1: go, and that's when they will just tune in for a Doc and Daryl thirty for thirty. <laughs> Did you watch that? No, I didn't. I didn't get a chance yet. I have it on my DVR.
2: Yeah, it was it was interesting. There's a lot of I, I watched it. It was uh, it was really well done. It, it was really to me. It was kind of depressing watching Doc. Doc Gooden just looks does not look good. He looks like he's in bad
1: shape. I don't well, know yeah. when exactly that was filmed, but it Did had you, to have been within um, the last six months. Did you listen to the Daryl Strawberry Boomer and Carton interview yes, I sometime did. last week? Yes, you can kind of tell, written between the lines of how Strawberry was talking about Gooden, that he is still struggling with, with drug addiction. Well, Strawberry, um, oh, he,
2: he runs a couple of different rehab clinics yes, down Strawberry as well, so out. he you sees gotta, it.
1: you got to give Strawberry all the credit in the world. He's oh, got no his doubt. life together. He had cancer. He was addicted to cocaine. He was addicted to crack. I mean, the dude has been through it all. Yeah. And he's bounced back and he, he moved to Missouri and he turned his life around and awesome. Awesome for him. And his one of his best oldest friends, who I know he's not close with anymore, is still going through all the shit. Yeah. So it's gotta be really tough. I'm I'm really looking forward to watching it. I heard it was really good, but just the juxtaposition between Doc and Daryl is pretty amazing. When, you know, 30 years later, and it's pretty crazy to think Strawberry, what the guy's been through, he was on the 86 Mets, the 96 Yankees, and right. now he's still here 2016, you know, turned his his life completely around, fully fully healthy now it's pretty amazing life the guys had the the crazy thing is
2: when you when you start hearing the accounts of what these guys were doing on a daily basis i mean so this it's kind of leading me into a, a talking point that i want to get into maybe we could get into another time it's maybe it isn't the time but this could be an off-season discussion but the fact that in the in the mid 80s that what did they they started in like 83 84 yeah. right yeah so at that time like that was the height of the greenies era and i think the greenies yep. era era of baseball really gets overshadowed it's completely under the radar but there's like a, there's a very big story about the greenies era that really hasn't been told to the law to the mainstream and i don't think people really understand the effect of the greenies on the baseball players how it affected the game and how it affected them as people because there, daryl strawberry was going through his account as when he would get up in the morning he, or it, it really started uh if you if you think about a baseball player they're they're nocturnal right they play baseball at night so they got to get up for the game these guys were young and hip and going out popular so they play their game they'd go out they'd drink all night long and or if they were on the road and they weren't going out they would drink to come down from the greenies strawberry said he was taking sometimes at the at the peak up to 8 greenies per day of of these things <laughs> he was wired 24 hours are, a day They're just going. He, he referenced the, the phrase of if you're not playing on greenies and it was a a known phrase in baseball that you were playing naked Hmm. because they all did it. And when he was talking about what the effect is, he was, he was talking about the baseball just looking like a balloon, looking like a a beach ball coming at you because you're, you're so locked in and you're like so hyper focused because that's what it's for. It's a, you know, it's a neurological, uh, a uh, drug that that just heightens it's your like senses it's like injecting
1: senses. caffeine straight into your blood vein yeah
2: but 24 hours a day but it, it's a it's even a, a different it's just it's more of a heightener um, and the fact that these guys were he, the motion was greenies 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 drink to come down so you could potentially sleep get up greenies to get back up again because you're hungover or you drank too much and it was just a cycle. These guys got addicted to the amphetamines. They got addicted to the alcohol. While they were drinking alcohol to get back up, during the alcohol they were probably doing cocaine. They were doing yeah, all these drugs. I was say, you forgot was about a, the
1: eight ball of cocaine. That they no, I know, but that kind
2: of that kind of happened as they were drinking, and like it, it didn't happen immediately for a lot of these guys. So it's just it, it was a vicious cycle at the time, and the Greenies started all of that to get kind of get them going, and that's what Strawberry really said he was addicted to. He was so addicted to the amphetamines that he he couldn't live without them, and. I don't know. To me, it's just fascinating listening to that and hearing how they how they got through the the eighties and the nineties and how much alcohol and drugs they were doing while they were playing baseball. It's crazy. It really is. And you know, I think maybe we can get into this more in the off season because it's probably in a more appropriate time when things aren't as uh, as hot. But it's definitely a good conversation. I would like to do some more research on it and 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 talk a little
1: bit more, um, you know, intelligently about it. But yeah, it's 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 something that's fascinating. I'm definitely interested in it as well. And it's, it's, you kind of feel bad, but at the same time, you don't feel bad because they did piss their careers away. It's not like they, you know, uh, got an illness. I know addiction is an illness, but yeah, you got to be it, careful with that because it of this. is still, I think on the more is on the onus of the person to, oh, to, no doubt to be it, a stronger person. So I only have so much th- sympathy for them, but they were going to be a dynasty with the Mets and they won the one world series and then everything just went to shit. So. And then they come back and win it with the Yankees just to slap in the face to Mets fans, which is kind of funny. It is kind of funny. <laughs> when, you at, when you look at early Doc Gooden tape, and you're,
2: I haven't really watched too much of it. Maybe I had a long time ago and just kind of forgot his motion and how, how much whip he had in that arm. It's unbelievable. Like you watch this and they talk about he literally would use his arm as a whip and it was just he, the, the the motion he had was unbelievable how much velocity and torque he could he could uh, generate in that arm it was crazy yeah. the guy he was
1: really electric pinpoint control with like a 97 mile an hour fastball and then a dylan Batances curve curveball yeah at 78 miles an hour that he could drop at any point except he would go nine innings doing it right. was a
2: rubber arm he had a rubber arm yep. insane
1: yeah it's it's a fascinating thing definitely watch it and if you haven't seen it out there definitely check it out it's really well done Um, so pretty much what we're waiting for is the Yankees, you know, the trade deadline to see what the Yankees do. Just want to give a little PSA to everybody. (laughs) Don't, don't be fooled by the trolls on the internet who are making fake Ken Rosenthal and Joel Sherman accounts or the trolls who just tweet out that the Yankees have traded Andrew Miller and Yvonne Nova for Joey Gallo. Yeah. And and they put Fox Sports one. Somehow you put in your bio that you're a Fox Sports one. I I still don't know how this person had 20,000 followers. That's what really threw me for a loop. Yeah, I don't know. You
2: could look back through those followers to see how many of them are legit, but the the fact that, the fact that she said that, I, I actually
1: she just, is, there's never, no way that is a she.
2: You never know. <laughs> you just never know because sometimes, like, there's a, a friend of a friend who knows somebody or whatever, and and those type of people can do it. Usually, they don't announce it like that. But doing my due diligence and just making sure because I wanted the the scoop if it was real. I, you know, we we DM'd a little bit back and forth so I could kind of feel this person out and. It was very clear that it was all very vague and bullshit. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and obviously they even DM back though. Yeah, they did. They followed a DM. They want because they wanted us to blow it up and, and give them credit for it. That's why. Yeah. They, and uh, we don't do that unless we have, you know, a legitimate source um, or if a, if a major respected baseball writer says something about it, who has a legitimate source. All right. But so yes. but,
1: but humor me. Yeah. Joey Gallo for for Andrew Miller and Ivan Nova. If that trade was actually real, how would you feel about that?
2: I, I wouldn't be mad, but at the same time, I think I think that Miller can get more than Gallo. I believe. I, I don't know. I I don't think Gallo. I think Gallo has come up not as. I think Gallo's prospects aren't as high as they were a year ago. And well, the fact that Miller is probably is,
1: the preferred guy out of yeah. Texas.
2: And the fact that Miller's controlled leads me to believe that there would. It just wouldn't be that deal. There'd be there'd be more to it.
1: You can forget about Ivan Nova. That's a nothing. Yeah, that was a throw-in. That's it's basically it would be Gallo But that's for Miller. but that's I like telling me that
2: Joey Gallo is more than Miller and you gotta throw somebody else in, well, which doesn't right. make sense.
1: I I just don't fully um discard it as an unfair trade. No, I don't think it's an unfair trade. If I was a, in a fantasy football league
2: or a fantasy baseball league and that came across, I would not veto it.
1: And but but replace Chapman for Andrew Miller, and I don't think that gets done. I think the Rangers would trade uh Uraldis, or trade Joey Gallo in exchange for Araldis Chapman. No, because I think at that point you need to add
2: some more minor leaguers
1: to it to make right. it. Because so it's, it's not far that it's a- off from what the trade for actual Joey Gallo would be. It's right. some combination of maybe Chapman plus uh, another Yankees, you know, minor leaguer, not you know, not a big name or. Andrew Miller and for Joey Gallo plus a little something from the Rangers. some lower minor so league guys. It's some, some but that is not that unrealistic. And no, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been thrilled, but I would have probably been. You know what? If 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 Cashman has evaluated the fact that he likes Joey Gallo and that's the made, the movie wanted to make, fine. My only thing was that I didn't believe it because I knew the Yankees were, are not going to make any moves until after they get absolutely trounced in these next eleven games. The the only thing about Gallo for me is I understand he's a young guy. He's got a lot of power. He's
2: got he's got special power, right? That's that's what is being told. But he strikes out a lot. What does that mean? I don't know. He hits a. He (laughs) Schwarber has special power, right? Yeah, that is special. (laughs) Okay,
1: so that is special. Joe, I don't think. Yeah, I would. I think Joey Gallo does have power. He's got he's got legitimate like legitimate. What we saw Giancarlo Stanton do at the Home Run Derby is special power.
2: Okay, fine. Joey Gallo, to me, is, it still fits that mold of base, of the type of baseball that I'm not a really big fan of. And it's, it's kind of an all or nothing for it. Although, you know, the fact that he's young and, you know, he he may really improve on, he, he may cut down his strikeouts. He may get on base more as a major league hitter as he, as he matures and, and, and grows into, uh, to a better hitter in the major leagues. That can all come. I understand that. So. He's, he's just he's an exciting player and it would be it would be a, a, a positive
1: for the Yankees a versatile still. versatile player who can yeah. play a lot of positions and he's young and that's exactly what the Yankees need and he's major league ready and but the, all the reports by everyone has been that the Yankees are not trading Andrew Miller unless they're blown away and I don't think Joey Gallo would blow them away I agree so I don't expect I honestly don't expect Andrew Miller at this point to get traded unless a team wants to get stupid and hey take advantage if a team wants to get stupid but I could see a team getting stupid. I mean, I really could as we as we get closer to you know July 30th, July 31st, and maybe you know teams tend to get stupid when other teams in their division or in the wild card race are making moves. They tend to get stupid because they don't want to fall behind. That is very true. You start seeing a couple of these guys, a couple a couple uh, teams.
2: This is this is my my scenario that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the Nationals making a move, making themselves a lot better. The Mets making a move, making themselves a lot better. And the Cubs going like, oh shit, we got to go right now. These teams are all around us getting good. We have a window that cannot be closed. We need to take advantage of this window right now. I've talked about this with you. The fact that Theo Epstein has already done that one time in Boston, he knows damn well what happens before and what happens after and how much how, how, how much of a hero you are if you get that
1: one championship. I mean, Theo That's would the, be – you pencil him into the Hall of Fame. You could probably already so, pencil him into yeah, the Hall yeah, of yeah. Fame. Yeah, yeah, he Cubs needs to get it is, now, and he knows that because of Boston. Yeah. He knows that he would legitimately. Have, you could make an argument; he's the greatest GM of all time if he ends the Red Sox and the Cubs curses. And guess what? Guess who's doing nothing for them in
2: 2016? And that's why I think the value is is, is everybody's talking about oh, how talking about Schwarber. How Schwarber for Miller is is completely out of out of out of line. And to Not me, I look at line. that.
1: I don't think it is because – I didn't say – I said it's not completely out of line. I think no, no, it's I know. still – I don't
2: think – I think you and I are on the same page. I think it's, it's still a little iffy but it's not out of line. But a, some people are like, oh, that's crazy. Why would they give up Schwarber for a reliever? Well, it's a reliever that's, that puts you over the top as a team. I first mean, it's of the
1: like. best reliever in baseball over the last two years.
2: He's controlled and Schwarber's doing nothing for you this year because he's down. And now you need to strike. You can't strike next year. You need to strike now.
1: I think it would take more than just Andrew Miller to get Schwarber, but I don't think it would take a lot more than just Andrew. No, there's a framework there, and those two would be the top. Right. And and I would be so down with that, as we yeah. mentioned in previous episodes. And, I, I mean, I, regardless of, of whether or not Andrew Miller gets traded, I would be absolutely livid if the if come August 1st, the night of August 1st, if Chapman and Beltran are still in Yankee pinstripes, I'm going to be extremely pissed off. I don't Me know too. I will be – it will be – It'll Those be guys are gonna do truss- nothing for you next year. If you really love Araldis Chapman, which I don't think anyone really loves Araldis Chapman, he's great, he's good and he can throw the ball really fast, but he's not as good as Miller or Batansis. But if you really want Araldis Chapman on the Yankees next year, the sign Yankees him. can say, We're gonna trade you and then we're gonna we're gonna sign you in the offseason. And even if it doesn't work,
2: it doesn't work. But you can still go after him. you don't know who he's gonna sign with you if you keep him. It doesn't matter. It, what, what happens right now while he's in pinstripe, if he stays with the team or doesn't stay with the team, it's not going to matter who signs him. I, I, I have a feeling that it has zero bearing on what he's going to make his decision on. What is he going to be like? Oh, they were loyal to me. I'm going to re-sign with them. No. He's gonna, he, whoever gives him the biggest contract, cash, cash whoever shows money. him the biggest opportunity, that's where he's going to go. Let's all be honest with that. The biggest it, pile of money is going to get a all. Yeah, it means nothing what happens at the end of this year. Nothing.
1: And I've heard the argument that the Yankees can have an, uh, just a just uh, they can justify to themselves for keeping Beltron and Chapman because then they can say, we'll let them walk and get the compensation draft picks." I've heard that too. Which I don't is love that. Something to talk about at least. At, look, but look at the history of of Brian Cashman drafting in that area, which would be right after the first round. It's not that great. It's certainly not. I would rather take my chances with somebody who's already played pro ball for a year or two. And you have at least some some numbers to go on, and you have some some actual people who have watched him play in pro ball. Whatever prospect that may be for for any or, in any organization, whether it's the Nationals or the Giants right. or whatever team you're trading with, I'd rather take that guy than a, than a than a fresh draft pick. Not to mention, if the if the
2: Yankees are always talking about putting out a winner, putting out a, a team that's consistently going to compete for a title or a division. When you're doing that, you're also setting yourself back by two years, three years, right. you know, at the
1: least. Draft and picks in baseball take a little while,
2: right? Unless you're a football. pitcher, unless football. you're a guy who just blows you away. But are you really going to get that guy at the end? I mean, I know Mike Trout was was uh, what was he okay. seventeen, eighteen? Yeah, Mike Trout but he's an anomaly, so,
1: such an outlier. That I understand
2: that. Even. That's what I'm saying. That's my point. He's an. It doesn't happen. So the fact is that they're not going to get that type of guy at that at that position. And when you can already get a guy that's relatively proven in the minor leagues, who's well ahead of a, any guy out of high school or any guy out of college, then you should absolutely do that. And it's it doesn't matter if he walks. If you're getting that, it's it's a if you're comparing those two. If you're if you're talking about the draft pick and that's your argument, well, your argument is blown out of the water. If you're, if this guy is re-signed and we get a uh, we get. A, a, a player that's ready to contribute. It's blown out of the water. It makes no sense.
1: Yeah, and it's—and if the Yankees want to re-sign Chapman after they trade him away— You can re-sign it, if you want. It costs them nothing. No, God, no. <laughs> I'm just saying you could. You could. <laughs> so <laughs> so here you we go. go. We got more older, older free agents. But He's, what I'm saying is the Yankees, uh, when you sign a free agent of that caliber, you have to surrender a draft pick, but you wouldn't have to with Chapman because he wouldn't be on the other team long enough. So it's it's really like cost the Yankees nothing it, it to sign him in the offseason if they trade him. It only benefits them. They could get players in return and get the player back after after they re-sign him. And you know what? I don't even really need to re-sign or all this Chapman.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a toy. The, and the, the thing – when we when we heard about this deal, when this deal was going down, this was kind of a contingency that you and I were talking about as well. It was an alternate benefit because if the Yankees were in a situation – I remember us talking about this. If they're in a situation where they're at the deadline and they're ready to, 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 to sell or they, they're not in competition or deem themselves not in competition – we mentioned this is another positive signing by, by Brian Cashman saying that he is going to set himself up because guess what they're going to do? They're going to clamor over this guy at the de- trade deadline. He is exactly what, what teams need at a deadline. There's a guy that puts you over the top in the bullpen. He's perfect. You can absolutely get high value for him right now. It's, it's, it's great. If Cashman does it, flips him into something great, genius move on Cashman. I, I, and you look at the signing, even more of a genius move. You mean the
1: trade? Yeah, the trade for Chapman. For tra- you mean the trade for Chapman? For Chapman, yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You gave up nothing for him. Um, more, more stuff flying around is that the Pirates are maybe interested in Nathan Avaldi. They're not the first team to show interest. Uh, the Cubs showed interest a couple months ago when Ivaldi was on that hot streak. Avaldi has been relegated to the bullpen. Granted, he's looked pretty good in two outings out of the bullpen. I don't think that's really enough to go on. And whatever team trades for Avaldi, I think, would probably think he would be a starter, not a reliever. Um but he's a reliever. He's a reliever. Did you see the new nickname that I made up? No.
2: Oh, yeah. So I have a new bullpen nickname now with Evaldi out there. It's E equals BMC
1: squared. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so, that's so nerdy. <laughs> what were you just like sipping sipping some scotch and then it just came to you? Like, yeah, it picnic. was actually – Yeah, yeah. I was, no, I was, in, in brutal honesty, I was yeah. drinking white wine and <laughs> <So> <laughs> it came God. to me. At least you weren't drinking rosé.
2: Yeah, it was white wine. It was a a nice Sauvignon Blanc.
1: You get hopped up on
2: white wine. I know. It gives me the sugar I need to to get me excited. (laughs) A
1: little little, uh, backstage... uh behind the scenes stuff is we a couple weeks ago we get on the podcast and scott goes man i'm really tired but i just chugged some white wine so i'm good to go what the yeah what are you talking i was about like
2: i here? think i have a problem i, I like drank you too much just, last night the only way i can drink a lot right of now.
1: sugar like why don't you just have a pixie stick if you're really that in desperate need for some sugar
2: because there was alcohol in it and it, and it, and
1: it helps me okay you up. got you ready for the pod i know i need to be on doc and daryl <laughs> Uh, and anybody have a Greenies hookup out there? Let us know, and Scott and I will record the next podcast on some Greenies. Yeah, we will see tell what you what we'll, happens. <laughs> we'll document our experience to see how it helps podcasting. <laughs> All right. Um, we already mentioned that the Red Sox got pomeran's. Don't
2: send us Greenies through the mail though, because every apparently every time we ask for something, it actually is sent through the mail. So don't do that. Just kidding.
1: Uh, we we mentioned that the Red Sox got pomeran's, and the reason I want to mention it again is because they gave up. Anderson Espinoza, who was their number three prospect in their system, but he was 18 years old. 18 years old is so far away from the major leagues. So I think if I'm a Red Sox fan, I really love that move. It it's a fills a need for this year and a need for the next couple years. You can argue that maybe Pomeranz isn't as good as the numbers he's pitching this year. You know, maybe he's not a 2.8 ERA or whatever he's pitched in San Diego. But even if he's a mid three ERA guy. I love that move. Dombrowski always favors the veterans over over the prospects anyway. But um, if you're a Red Sox fan, do you like or hate that move? I mean I don't really know enough about the 18 year old
2: prospect. I don't know if he's a guy that people were getting hyped about. I'm not sure if that's the the case. I mean you look at their their last prospect, the uh Henry kid, what was his name? Henry? Henry, Henry Owens. Henry Owens was was their number one pro- this guy was the like the second coming, ready to come out and just you know, drop that left hook like a like Clayton Kershaw yeah, and then style. And he gets up to and the majors and he he's
1: throwing an 88.
2: Yeah, he's been awful. So I don't know how much confidence they have in their in their uh their their brass actually bringing up pitchers
1: at this point. So I don't know what the hype was around this 18 year old kid. Well, I did see- See someone. Uh, someone was quoted as Scott as saying he's a mini Pedro. Okay. Well, Which I mean, it's really totally unfair it. they've to compare. They've also said him. that
2: about Severino, but the uh, the the fact that that Palmer Granite is ready to go now. Is is you know this team the one thing that they're lacking is pitching. Obviously, their their offense is filthy. If they add some pitching and become more consistent, in the pitching, it's a legitimate World Series contender. So you got to like it, I guess, if I'm a Red Sox fan because it's it's trying to put them over in a really strong weakness that they have right now. And I don't expect Palmer to be as good as he was. He's in the NL in the NL West, which is just it's it's a it's I don't even know where that is. Pitching
1: in Yosemite so far away, and San Diego. yeah.
2: So you come into the AL East, you know, and these guys get a book on you. This guy's been bounced around. I mean, he's been on, what, four teams? Uh, this, so, yeah,
1: well, the Red Sox are his fourth team. This, he was drafted
2: by Cleveland. Though. He was also drafted by Cleveland. Okay, so, so,
1: wow. So he has bounced around a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's 27 years old. It's not like he's a really young guy. He's got two more years of arbitration before. Kind creation. of like a Nathan Evaldi. Like, a lot of people bounce around. People have given up. This couple, is the first he's, year he's really had a breakout season. And, yeah, yeah is it? Is it because is it he's real? finally – Reached his potential or is it, you know, pitching in San Diego, big ballpark, National League? No or did he get hot a months. Who knows? There's a lot of
2: things. Anyway, whatever. It's a good gamble in my opinion. Uh, I agree. Right now because they're at a win right now
1: uh, mode with pitching at least. And if, they're, if, if you're looking at the Red Sox organ, or, uh, pitching staff objectively – They've got David Price who you think you can count on. And uh, other than that, you got a lot of question marks. Yeah. Stephen Wright has been fantastic and he was an all-star, but he's a knuckleballer. And what's the one thing we know about knuckleballers? 500. Exactly. Eventually, the numbers you you watch you pitch enough as a knuckleballer, you're going to end up somewhere around 500. So, unless you play the Yankees. I would I would guess Stephen Wright is going to come back down to reality a little bit in the second half. So, adding another pitcher is only a good thing. But yeah, he didn't really it didn't really m- matter when he went up Friday night against the Yankees. I knew that was going to piss me off. I tweeted out before the game that Stephen Wright versus Michael Pineda in the first game back from the All-Star break has the potential to really piss me off. That's exactly what it did. Stephen Wright was only in trouble in one inning. The Yankees scratched a couple runs off him. But by that time, it didn't matter because Pineda already gave up a couple home runs. Excuse me. Panada. Pinata already gave up Pinata. a couple home runs. Yep. One to Ryan Hannigan. One to Travis Shaw. I mean, we just have been praising the Red Sox lineup, but you can't be giving up home runs to the number eight and number nine hitter.
2: Yeah, those are the guys you don't give up the run, the, the runs to. The freaking Ryan Hannigan. I mean, he's on there for defense. He's not there to hit the ball. I mean... It's ridiculous. It's it's a it's a absolutely on on it's inexcusable the the mistakes that he makes. It's just it makes no sense either. It's crazy. It's like he like takes some people off. And the uh, the other thing about Stephen Wright that was bothering me and and I I don't I don't know if I'm less bothered after I listening to Paul O'Neill uh talk about the way that they would prepare for knuckleballers cuz and we knew we knew the rumor or we knew we've heard stories about Steinbrenner bringing in knuckleballers to um to 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 pitch bullpen uh, batting practice before they would go against knuckleballers, and Paul O'Neill was talking about that it really didn't help them out it, because it's it's not really a timing thing. It's just because it dances so much. You just you just gotta be ready and good hand-eye coordination, ready to hit the ball. And the fact, but to me, like the fact that you had that long break, you know there's a knuckleballer coming at you. You're not facing like a 96, 97 mile an hour lefty beforehand. I don't know. I feel like you could be more prepared for that guy. And they were just they just were good. And I, it it was frustrating for for me seeing them get baffled by this guy again. And um I don't know, Stephen after the Wright break, reminds me a lot out. of Tim
1: Wakefield. And he and throws he, the
2: ball a lot harder though.
1: His fastball is in the high eighties. Yeah, but it, I I don't honestly think that makes a difference because he doesn't throw his fastball. He does. He's throwing he does throw his fastball again. Okay. Yeah, it just he throws him just, like, just like Tim Wakefield did. If he fell behind three oh yeah you're gonna get a fastball. But but Stephen Wright throws it in non traditional
2: knuckleballer counts as well. He he has a, a an almost legitimate fastball. I mean, it's it's a not, it's I think it's 88, 89 miles an hour. It's not a, a just a, a freaking get me over
1: fastball. <clears throat> so he's uh, a little bit different. He's a little bit different. I, but, but what I was really getting at is that, like you were saying, you can't prepare for a guy like Tim Wakefield or Stephen Wright. So it it all really matters is is the knuckleball dancing or not? And you just got to be selective with it and and hit it. You know, the one time the Yankees scored runs was Beltron's RBI double, and it's when the knuckleball stayed belt high. So and it was Carlos Beltron. and it was Carlos Beltron. So I uh, I am at the same while well, I'm pissed off that you can't hit a knuckleballer. It's a fluke. It's a fluke pitch. It's a fluke. it's a it's a gimmick and that's what it is. And Except I, that we can never hit it ever. Well, this Ugh. team this team can't hit anything. And I was in the stadium on Friday night and There was a slight buzz to the atmosphere pregame. You know, I went to get a couple drinks at Billy's, walking into the stadium, everyone was excited, first game back. Tons of Red Sox fans there, which, you know, I think it was almost split, which is kind of disappointing to see. But Pineda just completely sucked the air out of the stadium. And to be honest with you, after the third or fourth inning, a lot of people were just walking around getting drinks and not really paying attention. And it just seemed like Yankee fans were uninterested, which is almost worse than if they were just booing the hell out of the team.
2: Well, I mean, that's it's, it's the overwhelming, it's the overlying theme of, of what this season is. It's, you know, we, we, we know that there's a bomb waiting to, to, to go off. You know, we're waiting for the, 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 the disruption to happen when is pitching. We know there's going to be that inning where he's going to give it up, he's going to start flailing his arms. And, and, you know, everybody's going to shut down. It just, it happens all the time. It's too consistent. It's consistently inconsistent and it pisses everybody off. So yeah, they're trying to do other things. They're trying to enjoy their night. Why wouldn't they? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And the fact that ownership doesn't acknowledge these things makes people even more angry.
1: And then Eduardo Rodriguez, who has sucked all year, he's got an ERA north of seven, went out and shut down the Yankees. And you and I looked it up before this podcast started five career starts for Eduardo Rodriguez against the Yankees. 31 innings, 2.01 ERA, 29 hits given up, so less than a hit per inning, and he's 4-1. The Yankees can't hit lefties over the last few years. Eduardo Rodriguez, I know, was a high prospect for, for the Red Sox. They got him in the Andrew Miller trade, but he has not been good all year, and the Yankees could not take advantage. And now, as we're recording this, I'm watching the Yankees are down one nothing. Tanaka ended up giving up a home run to the short one, Dustin Pedroia, early in the game. Um, so he's gone back to his old ways and giving up solo shots. I'm okay with that. Solo shots are better than three run shots, I guess. All right. Let's get into some mailbags before we close this show out. We got a couple from Instagram. So let's fire through these quickly. The first one comes from um, BT.34 on Instagram. And he says, what are the chances that the Yankees make a blockbuster trade at the deadline? We've already talked about the number of trade possibilities. But blockbuster trade, I think, would be trading potansis. Or excuse me, uh, Beltron, Chapman, or Miller? Would you agree? Do I think that's a blockbuster?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I think I think you're going to add to me a blockbuster is is more to it. I think there's going to be there would be draft picks or not draft picks. There would be um, <laughs> more minor
1: league guys involved. I don't know. A blockbuster seems like a, a more people in. But to it, me. it would I, be. I, I don't okay, think majors. those guys. Instead of blockbuster, major. And unless one of those three guys are traded, I don't think it's a major trade. Unless something crazy happens and the Yankees somehow offload, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury. Yeah, see, that would be a blockbuster to me. Okay, so what would you put the chances at percent-wise? Of of an Ellsbury-type thing? Like something of a blo- crazy? Of Something crazy happening at the deadline. Cashman pulls something out of his ass and surprises everyone. 25%. Huh? That's higher than I thought. I would put it at like 7.94%. That just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I,
2: I, I have a lot of respect for Cashman. I feel like I I feel like he's a sneaky, crafty guy, and I could see him doing something like that It's because it's the cashman factor to me.
1: Um, This one comes from sports underscore edits underscore 27 (laughs) WC. Do you think the Yankees will finish above 500 if they trade Miller and or Chapman? And this is something
2: we talked about earlier in the show. I could absolutely see some some, uh, some scenario playing out where we get younger guys who are major league ready, filtering them in, popping up some of our younger guys from AAA and this team playing better. So yes, I could see it happening.
1: I don't think the Yankees are going to finish 500 whether they trade those guys or not. So that's just my feeling on, on the team so far. All right. Next question comes from Robin Lett and he says, hey guys. I'm having a hard time getting on board with the idea that we should be sellers, particularly with regard to the bullpen big 3. The arguments for a trade in that department have been centered around the Yankees giving themselves a chance to contend in 2017 and 18. It seems to me that the it seems to me that given the makeup for our roster and the lack of starting pitching in the free agent market this season, this offseason, we need to be hanging on to those guys. The reason everybody wants them is because they are world-class with the likes of Judge, Sanchez, and Bird adding to the offense next year. And along with big money coming off the books in the next 18 months, we should be building a team around BMC. Those guys along with Didi and Castro could be the core five to six guys for this team in the next few years. Love to hear your thoughts and great show as always. And the reason that I, th- I really wanted to read this is because it, it's different from what we think and it's a different opinion than, than what a lot of people think.
2: Well, it's just something that's really not been thrown out there. So it's a, it's a little bit intriguing to at least talk about and think about. And I honestly, I think <clears throat> a lot of it was uh, if you look at the makeup of this team and the fact that they did this, I mean – in essence, these guys were kind of trying to do that this year. They were trying to build around BMC this year. And, and they, they were alluding to the fact that, hey, we're going to shorten the game and we're really going to lock it down in the end. And that was, that was one of their big points, their big selling points, and why this team was going to succeed this year. And we saw what happens. When you try to build a team from the – when you go backwards, when you go from the ninth inning back, it, it just doesn't work because while it's nice to have those guys back there, if the people in front of you, the starters, the offense – the defense, everybody in front of you that happens for the first six innings, if they don't do their job, then the, 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 the thing that you're building yourself or your team around doesn't exist. It has no bearing on a game. It has no benefit on the game. It does nothing for that, for that team. So I, I don't think you can actually build yourself around that because to me you need to have a lot more balance and you need, you need to, to really focus on the, the front end of the game rather than just the back end.
1: Also, building around BMC would be a play for only 2017 and 18. And I would rather see them make a play for 2017 for the next 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Is yeah. That, well, Batances, Miller, and Chapman are only going to be good for the next handful of years. So I don't want to build around them. I want to build around a core young group of players that will be contributing to their success over the next 10 years. Well, and
2: the fact of the matter is, is the, the big part of that uh, Chapman, you can still resign if you trade him that we talked about. So the fact that you would be keeping him to build around that, well, if you want to do that, fine. But trade him now, get him back, and, and reap more benefits, and uh, and then you'd be okay with that. And it's so, just
1: not very likely that the Yankees are going to win the pennant next year.
2: A lot of things can happen in a year. I, I know a lot of things, things can
1: happen, but I just it, – it seems very far-fetched at this point. So unless something crazy happens, I would rather move on from the bullpen big three, keep – Two of them if you really, really want to, but make sure you trade one and get something good for him. I really want him to trade two. And, and Brian Cashman has found guys in the bullpen to fill. I think I mentioned this on a couple weeks ago. Think about all the good players since Mariano Rivera left, all the great bullpen arms. I have confidence Brian Cashman can find a couple more bullpen arms when the team is ready to win a World Series.
2: Last one is from Alex. He says... How do we suggest that we Yankee fan or how do you suggest that we Yankee fans can best unite to express directly to the Yankees ownership <laughs> that the clear majority of the fans, especially good paying frequent ticket holders want a rebuild ASAP? He says should we get a petition going I know there's a lot of social media outlets set up a website or a Facebook page he says you both uh, clearly are quite creative and knowledgeable about the Yankees organization so I trust you have some good ideas in this. You know, it's an interesting it's an interesting way to to think, but the the fact that that our if we were to you know rise up <laughs> rise up together and band together and show show them what we think that would make a difference. But in all honesty, I just I just don't think that's anywhere realistic. I don't think that a petition would be even seen. I don't think that if it were seen, that it would be used as any credibility. I don't think that they would they would just look at it and say, hey. These guys are fans. They don't know baseball like we know baseball. And it would relatively it would just get dismissed. I just don't think it's a big consideration, in all honesty, in what they do.
1: So I got a little tipsy on Friday night and I went down to the the suite level, started banging on some doors, no one answered. So I started to get escorted out of the stadium and I realized that I was not gonna get to speak to Brian Cashman or Hal Steinbrenner. Unfortunately, I was not able to get the job done on Friday. But Maybe if on August 1st and no one has been traded on the Yankees, we just decide to unite as Yankee fans and not go to the game.
2: Yeah, because that's going to happen. I mean, yeah, you, you, I mean something drastic like that. But the problem is it's I just don't think it's uh, it's – it's at a point where I don't think it's a, a realistic – it's very difficult to do something like that with a sports team because. I know, I'm only kidding. No, I know. I'm. I'm talking. I'm. I'm talking to Alex at this point. I think, but it's just very difficult to do that with a sports team because there are so many people doing their job at an upper level that are are the only the only thing that they worry about from us is like you said, going to the games, watching the watching the games on television. But and unless that were to stop, which which would be an insane
1: movement, it's not going to matter. It's never going to stop. But if this team continues to play mediocre and no one gets traded the ratings are going to suffer and the attendance is going to suffer so even though it's not going to be zero if there's 5% 10% less ratings and 2 to 3000 less fans on a nightly basis that hits the bottom line that's a mess sending a message even if you didn't mean to, that is sending a message to ownership. Well, and the other thing is, is, if you listen to any of the sports radio stations in New York, and you
2: listen to a lot of these shows—I mean, Francesca's one of them as well—who's been harping on this for weeks—you know, you know what the fan voice is. You know what everybody wants. You listen to these callers, and they take—you take any questions about the Yankees. I'd say ninety-five percent of them are talking about selling the team. The the guys the the ownership at least know they catch wind of this. I mean, I'm sure there's interns, you know, making notes for what's happening on some of these shows, so they can get back and they know about what's going on. At least so they can you know knock down doors or whatever. But at the same time, I I think the general overlying theme and the message that that Yankee fans are okay with the rebuild and they want to rebuild. I do actually believe that that's a clear statement out there. I, I don't think it's something that's not known. I so I I think that
1: Levine doesn't know
2: about it. Well, I, I don't know if he voices about it, but I'm sure he knows about it. I, I just I don't think people. that guy's
1: ever heard of Twitter.
2: It, the, the problem is, is there's too many people talking about baseball in the in the in upper management that that shouldn't be talking about baseball, and and you're sending mixed signals, and it's confusing for us, and it just shouldn't happen. There should be there should be a unified voice. For baseball activities in the in the Yankees organization, and it should be Brian Cashman. Listen, and the, if, if somebody else is going to talk about it, Joe Girardi. That those are the two guys that be talking about it.
1: The Yankees are never going to be the Minnesota Twins. Though they're going to win, you know, seventy games this year. They're never going to be the Braves who traded everybody on their roster and they're fielding a four A team at this point. And that's not what we want. I, no, let me finish. And, and they're not even going to be the Cubs, where the Cubs absolutely sucked, stunk for ten years. That's never going to happen either. But is it really that unrealistic to think that maybe for half a season, the Yankees might just not be relevant and you can build for the future? That's that's okay. It's a pretty small rebuild, retool It's time. a pretty small price to It's not even a to rebuild. Pay. Yeah. It's a small price to pay if it means we're going to have that much better of a team from 2017 to to 2027.
2: Hey, look, we're throwing good juju out there when we're talking about the 96 team, 20 years to the day where the core four started. Everybody, you know, there was a couple years before that when it really started. But like the, there, there's there's good juju going out there right now by this 96 series. So we're throwing out, we're doing our part with the karma. We're trying to throw some as, as much of this of the good vibes from 96 so that they can, you know, be pushed onto the the ownership and pushed onto the field for this team because we do have a young core that looks to be ready to go.
1: And You know what's crazy? Exciting. If they trade some guys and have some young guys on this team in the second half, you and I are going to start doing positive shows, and I'm going to start doing positive Friday blogs. It would be fun. It would be fun to see that. Oh, I'll genuinely be more excited for this team than oh, watching 38-year-olds no oh, suck. 100%. Not even a factor. All right. <laughs> you guys can follow us on Twitter at Yankees Podcast. That is our new Uh, podcast twitter page we tweet out all of the the show stuff be doing some clips over the next couple weeks from the shows we we get some mailbag questions from there so definitely follow the show you can follow me on twitter at yankees underscore talk you can get scott at scott Reinen or at bronx pinstripes which i'm sure everyone's already following but scott is usually tweeting from there all right scott before we leave anything you want to leave the people with this is, uh, this is the stretch. This is exactly what we've
2: come down to. So we'll see what happens. But be ready to sell because I do believe this team is going to sell. And I think they may actually sell more than than what's expected. So uh, I, I could see some, uh, some people being surprised at how much Brian Cashman gets to do his job, finally.
1: As I said on Friday night, I tweeted out a little video. Yes, the Yankees lost, but that's one game closer to selling. And that is not such a bad thing. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week.